here in Los Angeles, um, and I'm here with Caroline Tran. Hey, everyone. Welcome to my studio. Yeah. And so we're just going to, um, I just want to take some time and get to know you a little bit. So why don't you tell everybody about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So I'm a Los Angeles-based photographer. I shoot everything from weddings to babies, boudoir, um, and branding content as well. So... You do a lot of different things, like you said, from babies to fitness to weddings, marketing, photography, but you also have a part of your business that's a marketing side mm -hmm. where you're teaching other people. You're educating on a range of subjects from marketing themselves to literally, we're going to talk a little later, a lighting course. So how did you move your business from simply delivering the service of photography to making a decision to create that stream of income? Yeah, it, it definitely didn't start off as an as an intention to be a stream of income. It started as just a genuine desire to help other photographers. I when I started, so just to give you a little background about me, I was a high school physics teacher. I did it for five years. During the last two years was when I decided I want to become a photographer. I was not a photographer. I'd never picked up a camera before. <laughs> I just had this business plan and this vision. Like what I was really inspired by was when I got married myself. But what I loved about photography and when I was following photographers at the time was that you get to connect with people on such an intimate level. Like you get to tell stories about people. You get to make up stories about people. I always people. say to people all the time who are like in the wedding industry who are like, because especially in filmmaking, um, it's viewed as like sub artistic. Mm -hmm. If you work in weddings, right. you're not a real artist. You need mm -hmm. to go make real films and that's it. I don't right. know. If, I'm, I'm sure somewhat it's that way in yeah, photography. Yeah, I mean, there's... So my cousin was a commercial photographer and I mean, I wasn't planning to tell this story, but I will now. <laughs> so he is a commercial photographer and at the time, when I came up with this idea, I want to start like a wedding photography business because I just think it's so beautiful being able to be part of these people's lives and, you know, I want to be able to be part of that with them and help them, you know, but I'm not a photographer. So my cousin, who was a commercial photographer at the time, just when I asked him to shoot my wedding, his response was, I went to art school. I don't shoot weddings. And I think that's kind of like a similar sentiment to a lot of people. That oh, yeah. But I always say to people all the time with that, that, that way of thinking, I'm like, what other artists can say you made someone's favorite art? Right. Their absolute favorite piece of art. And actually the average consumer that's buying a wedding film, it's really the actual, like besides like, Hollywood movies. It's the only art they're even purchasing in their whole life. They're never going to buy a nice, they'll maybe go to Home Goods and buy a picture. Right. They don't care about it. It's the yeah. only piece of fine art they're buying. Yeah. Their whole life is their right. wedding photography and their it's wedding like the film. It's like the guaranteed piece that they yeah. will buy. And it's like the whole point of art is to move people, to mm -hmm. get, make people feel something, to connect right. with someone. And it's like when I look at wedding films, I'm like, it's very high art in my mind because mm -hmm. you're creating something incredibly intimate, incredibly personal that means so much to someone. So anyway, yeah, you decided to become a wedding filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a wedding photographer. Well, for me, I just wanted to be a storyteller. I honestly didn't care if it was weddings. I was also just as fascinated with people and their babies. Ah. And people and the, like with boudoir. I love you know, your baby the, work, by the way. <laughs> Thank I, you. I secretly... <laughs> Love baby photography. <laughs> I would never do it. 
It's so hard, <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, I mean, I just love documenting stories. I think I've just always had this in my head, like legacy, you know, like what gets left behind and that what an honor we have. It's like to an be, heirloom. Yeah, and what an honor that we get to tell, to document these for people. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I recruited my cousin, but he thought he was too good for weddings, basically. <laughs> and then I had to learn it, which I'm so grateful for. But for me... Um, because I thought through the business pretty well, like on, and I had a clear vision of what I wanted to do. Like I, and it was more than just creating beautiful pictures. It was documenting stories, genuine connections with people. And I think because of that, um, and the right marketing, the right placements, being seen in the right places, I my business was able to propel really fast. That's crazy. So within a year and a half, I was able to have a fully booked. A booked out calendar for weddings by then. So I quit teaching, started doing that. Um, I had a good online presence at the time, like just a lot of blogging. And I think the wedding blogs were just starting to come out at the time. It was such a big thing was like six, seven years ago. Like that was the way you do your business. But I mean, I started um, submitting to blogs like back in 2009. Like I was there when like, for example, um, Style Me Pretty and green wedding shoes were just yep. infancy stages, yep. you know, and they were still like hungry for content. I'm like, I don't know. I just did this engagement session, want it? Yep. <laughs> and so um, I was able to grow like relatively quick at the time. And so people just had a lot of questions. I naturally just wanted to help. I started hosting in-person workshops and retreats. And Do you think that the demand preceded the decision? Like you got a bunch of demand and then you said, I should do this. That was how you did it? It was, um, it must be, I, I forget like yeah. what came first at the time, <laughs> the chicken or the egg. Um, but definitely what happened was when I first, I hosted my first workshop, I believe in 2012. So that was when I was five, no, like three years fully in, like, five, but five years, like five years from the very start. Yep. But I would say like three years from having been successful enough. And honestly, I feel like three years is like nothing when I look back at it. But people were hungry for information and I had a lot of information well, to Well, it was give. like the beginning of the ex- internet explosion of wedding photography, you know. So <clears throat> there's probably... And I think it was like the beginning of the DSLR revolution. Mm-hmm. So it became a much more of a, like a possibility. Like when that 5D Mark II hit, mm-hmm. it absolutely transformed a lot of marketplaces. And mm-hmm. of course, Nikon and all these mm-hmm. people. And all these people were like, oh, this is a possibility for me. I can become financially independent. Right. I am a mom. It lowered the barrier to entry. Yeah. And so, I mean, and, and some people don't like that. I think it was the best thing to ever happen to our industry because... Now we have a lot more people involved, a lot mm-hmm. better work, and of course, education opportunities for people like you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you started doing classes here, and then mm-hmm. you it just grew from there. Yeah, it grew from there. But so, what I used to do is I was hosting these retreats. They were four day retreats. Wow. We would rent out like a villa. People would stay over. It was amazing. It was like fifteen people. Invite me to that. Yeah, huh? it was like super intimate. You know, just fifteen people. We would. Sp- basically spend day and night doing this um, between me lecturing, me doing hands-on activities with them, and then actually practice gorgeous styled shoots that we would 
put together. But at the end of the day, what I realized was it was really draining. Oh, yeah. It took months of preparation. And even afterwards, it's not done yet because it's like wrapping up, following up with people, making sure that they're, you know, still doing well. And I realized for that amount of energy that I was putting in, I was only helping 15 people. So it was how can I get get this information out to more people? And then that's when I stumbled upon like the online course creation. So it's... Were you doing like creative live and things like that? I've done two creative lives. So I would say... So I did one on... I did a collaboration with SLR Lounge, I want to say three years ago, I think, three, three or four years ago. And that was my first taste because I had this idea. I just didn't know how to produce it. You know, I was like, I have the content. I just don't know how to get it out there. So I collaborated with SLR Lounge at the time. We were able to get my first course out online. Um, I don't think we really knew how to market it. <laughs> we just, they knew how to produce it. I knew how to, I had the content and then... It's like we're trying to do this podcast and, and you know, we're trying to hold to our values and, mm-hmm. and talk about the things that we think are important and not clickbaity stuff. Right. And it it's, makes it way harder. Yeah. <laughs> like, because I know for a fact if I just put, like, so we did one video with the Canon R5. Mm-hmm. And it was real. We were standing mm-hmm. with Canon. We were looking, and it was WPI. You were there. We, that You're talking, like, click, 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 click. And I'm like, this content's super mediocre it's not anything we're just talking <laughs> to this person and then we're doing like podcasts with like all these incredible people mm-hmm. and I, no one will watch it and you know like oh there's a trick to this right yeah. and it's like marketing to these like this crowd you have to know what you're doing yeah. so you must have figured it out in some way yeah so i mean then um i think two Two or three years ago, I lose track of time nowadays. Um, I did. Well, you have two kids, right? Yeah, I do. So two boys, love them, <laughs> so much fun. Um, but yeah, so then I did Creative Live, which I loved. Like it was such a fun experience. Because well, like, they, but they gathered the people, like they create yeah. the audience. There was That's- a, and there was a team. Like I literally just had to show up and teach. Yep. I was like, this is awesome. I didn't have to do any of the pre-production other than give them my notes. But, I, I know a few of the people over there at Creative Life. Oh, they do a cool. great job. Yeah, they, they did a gr- like an amazing job. Like I felt so taken care of. I had my own producer, you know, who was walking me. I felt like my hand was held the whole way through. And they have the audience. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they bring the audience. So it was awesome. You know, it's a small cut, but they get you the audience. Yep. And then they build the credibility, and that's that's awesome. Yeah. And then, but yeah, so since then, um, I started producing my own just for more flexibility and more. Because, you know, with, when you're with, working in someone's structure, you have to fit into their mold um, and you can't veer too far off. And so for my courses, I was like, I have other, these other things I want to do. And like, I, I have this vision of how I want my courses to grow. And so I am now pursuing it on my own. I saw a, a statistic that you posted the other day is like 85% of photographers um, will go out of business within two years, you said? Well, it's, so 50% go, will go out of business within the first year. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, a really wide pool, right? This includes like all like the hobbyists who pick up a camera and throw up a website and think they have a business now. Um, so of all the people who start, 50% will be out of business in that first year. The, of that, um, a, a smaller percentage of them will make it through the third year. 
And then, but by the time we get to 10 year, it's basically like 2%. Oh, 15% makes it to the third year and 2% makes it to the 10 year. I always tell people, I say, if you can get through three years yeah. in the creative industry, mm-hmm. um, if you can get through three years, you have a business, mm-hmm. most likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have a business. I mean, that, there's a reason why you can only claim a loss for up to three years, right? Because yeah. after three years, if you're still a loss, I believe the tax board, tax, whatever, um, they consider you a hobby. So you can't keep, yeah. yeah, you can't even, they won't even give you a business license after that, I, right? I think <laughs> if you can get through three years, and this is my totally anecdotal, not scientific analysis, yeah. but like, <laughs> I think people, if, they, if, they, if you can get through five years, you should have a business that actually is functioning properly. Mm-hmm. That has like nor like a regular stream of it's now obviously some people do it faster, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like I think most anyone who follows certain like who's just who's good, mm-hmm. who doesn't suck with people, mm-hmm. who knows like basics about marketing. Like literally, yeah. if you just put yourself up in the not wedding wire mm-hmm. and you were did a good job and you were nice to people, mm-hmm. after five years you should have a really functioning business. But yes. why do you think it is that so many people? I would say even three. After three, definitely. Yeah. But after five, it should just be running. Right. Yeah. 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 After three yeah. you should have a good income after five you should just be like look here i have leads showing up i have yeah. all these referrals i'm well known in my industry in an ideal world by f- by year five if something happened to you your business should still run yes like that's always my model a you real know? business you're yeah. a real business after- exactly but i think a lot of people don't treat their business like a real business so for example at one of my talks at wppi last month um, people were asking about social media and some and marketing, and we mentioned I was talking about some of the marketing tools that Instagram has, and one of the audience said, "Yeah, but don't you have to have a business profile in order to have those features?" And I'm thinking, "Aren't you a business though?" And they're like, "Yeah, but if you're a business, I think like you're gonna have to spend more money on it, right?" So I feel like then I when I asked around, I realized I forget that. There's a lot of photographers or just creative business owners in general. When they're first starting out, it usually started off as a hobby and they're afraid to transition it, to treat it like a real business, but not realizing that by not treating it like a real business, they're also prohibiting themselves well, to become a real business. Well, very few educators, though, are, are educating people in that way, though, because what, what I've seen, the best way to make money off people is to make them think they are the biggest, that they're the star of the story and to make them think about themselves and, and sell that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's truth to it. Like not everyone is cut out like to do what we do with Stop Go Love. Not everyone is cut out to do education classes. Not everyone, like that isn't everyone's path. But at the same time, I think everyone needs to somewhat depersonalize their business mm-hmm. and think about it like a business mm-hmm. and depersonalize even the art, which is really, really mm-hmm. hard for people because they're like, mm-hmm. this is my baby. This is my art. Like I know for you, you're like, oh, I have this business idea. I'm going to start this business. It happens to be photography. Mm-hmm. Me, I was like... I don't know, 11 years ago, I'm like, oh, this new camera came out, the Canon 5D Mark II. I teach high school video. I could shoot what those guys are shooting. I could do that, and I need more money. So let's do that to a friend of mine. We were starting a business. Mm -hmm. We were not, and I had an exit strategy, and I knew how much I could resell them for, and how many, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I paid myself out of the first three years, I think maybe 20 grand out of like 250 grand revenue. Mm -hmm. Because we were like, we're starting a business. Right. 
And mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. I don't want to have any risk, any debt, any right. problems. Mm-hmm. I don't mind putting sweat equity into something, but I don't like to lose money. Right. And yeah. it's like, that's a business. Right. Like, that is not how most people are taught to run their business. They're taught expressing your yourself. Yeah. 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 And it, <laughs> there's some, there's, th- that is valid, but it's both and. It's not either. Exactly. Or. Yeah. I agree. I, I do feel that um, people who are encouraged, People who are pushing the message, like, just follow your dreams and money will follow. Like, it doesn't quite work that way. If I followed my dream, I would be laying out on the beach and soaking in the sun all day. Yeah. (laughs) My dream would be playing in a heavy metal band. (laughs) That would have been my dream when I was 18. So I I think there's there's a balance, you know, like, you can't tell somebody, just just do what you want, just do what makes you happy, and money will follow. Like, the money will come. (laughs) <laughs> but I do also believe that if you can make the two meet together, if you can now do what you love, but also have a structure in place and a system in place to monetize it, now that's the ideal world. That's right? the ideal world. And I think, I do believe, and I, I sound like I'm kind of down on chasing your dreams, but I'm really not, because I think the real dream is independent, like financial independence, and the ability to control your own work environment. And I think that's the dream. Right. That's the dream you should be pursuing, the dream to be able to, like you said, get sick and continue to make money. Like for me, I have 120 weddings a year happening. I'm not shooting. Mm -hmm. I'm not shooting these weddings. Someone else is shooting most of these weddings. My clients are just as happy. The -hmm. vendors I work with are just as happy. They're calling me, letting me know, oh, this guy did a great job, your Mm guy. We love you guys. I feel like we're living the dream. Right. And again, like I think this is where... Um, I'm coming out with the business course in the next couple of months working on it. But my, one of the big messages I push there is like, you have to chase your own dream. So not someone else's dream. Yep. So just because your sister's dream is to have a stable income, like, I mean, like a nine to five, predict, like same pay, same amount every month, like that might not be your dream. Your dream might be to work internationally and travel, but you have to also know what that means too, You have to be willing to pay the price, right? Right, exactly. So your sister's dream might be to have a stable nine to five so she could be home with her kids. Maybe you don't have kids. You don't need to chase that same dream. If you don't have kids, then maybe you can't afford to travel the world, but life changes, happens. Maybe you meet someone down the line and now you have kids, Yeah. (laughs) right? So then you might have to pivot your business. And so just being conscientious of what your actual goals are yes. so that you can work towards that. Yes. There's no, there's probably some bad dreams, like stupid <laughs> dreams that are dumb. But for the most part, most people's ideals and dreams are, have a lot of validity and value to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no single path um, to achieving them or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I do think there's some fundamentals that everyone can apply to like not close. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're like, when you brought that statistic up, it made me think like, oh, it's really sobering. Mm-hmm. I, I, we did a podcast recently and we talked about finances and, mm-hmm. and I was telling people, I was like, the average wedding in America is only spending less than $2,000 on wedding photography and $1,000 on wedding filmmaking. 70% of brides only for wedding filmmaking, only 1.5% of brides are spending more than five grand. 
Wow. That's, I mean, that's a nationwide. That's a nationwide average. statistic. Mm-hmm. It's and it's real. There's enough data, and anyone who's like, oh, there was only so you're 12. after 1.5 percent of the market. <laughs> Everyone is, and everyone's being funneled there. Everyone's yeah. being told like, raise your prices, raise your prices, mm-hmm. and I'm like, the demand does not exist for all of us to raise our prices. You're gonna pretty much set it up that only the best people work. Because yeah. if everyone tries to go there, then the brides are going to go, or we're all going to have to lower our prices, actually. Right, then it's a race to the bottom at that point. At that point. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm always trying to tell people, I'm like, just figure out your market, mm-hmm. meet whatever mm-hmm. the demand is, mm-hmm. and be clever. Yeah. If you're in a market where the client brides don't care how good the work is, they don't care at all. Right. Hire people, shoot whatever, shoot 200 yeah. weddings, do a good job, deliver a good service. That's just as artistic in my mind yep. and just as creative yep. and it doesn't yep. hurt the industry and it doesn't destroy in, anybody. In my business course, one of the examples that I give is I use restaurants as an example. So for example, you have Chipotle mm-hmm. and you have, I'm trying to think of like more nationwide, but you have like Wolfgang Puck. Or, yeah, right? Border or, Grill, some high-end expensive right, like higher, yeah, Mexican right. restaurant. Exactly, yeah, Chipotle or Border Grill even, right? So you can either go to Chipotle and get something for under $10 or you can go to Border Grill and get the same thing. And I do, and for, I do both. Right, yeah. Depending so on the situation. You, yeah, but um, if you, both are successful restaurants, right? They have different business model. One is that you sit down, you get good service, you're being judged by your service. One is you walk up to the counter, you order, you tell them what you want, they hand it to you, you go seat yourself, right? You get what you pay for too, but people are expecting that and that's okay. So in your business, it's like, which one do you want to offer? So you can either be high volume, you can be like, you know, Chipotle and dish out the lots of volume, have lots of people trained under you. Consistency. Exactly. And just delivering. You can go to any Chipotle and you know it's going to be the same results, right? You can re- you can rely on your chicken bowl is going to be a chicken bowl no matter if you got it at Chipotle here and or in another state. People, many people love Chipotle. Exactly. They would actually prefer Chipotle. Right, yeah. And I love Chipotle. And so if you're going to be the Chipotle, then you, you can do that. You know, you get a team of you. You have to have a system to train them, get them all to be similar. And now you are going to reach that certain market. And you can now offer, say, wedding videography at a much lower price. It's accessible. But people are also not expecting fancy plating or anything, right? It's just throw it together. and It's a low-touch customer experience. They don't want, they're not going to demand a ton of your time. Yep. But it's a certain customer and knowing that, that that's what they want. They want it in and out, simple, just give me predictable. Well, and it's actually the majority of customers. Right, yeah. The majority of customers want... They value, they care about value and convenience. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom of the market, it's all about price. And the top of the market, all about exclusivity. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a huge, valuable. there's a huge, I mean, it's 98.5% of the market basically, right? Yeah. So for, that's a huge market. Or photography, it's probably like, <laughs> I think it was something like 6% of brides are spending more than five okay. grand. So, yeah, so now we're talking about 94%, you. right? But either way, there's a huge percentage of people and you can definitely cater to them and come up with a, with a business that really like pleases them. Mm-hmm. Or you can go on the other extreme and be like, say, your French Laundry or your, I don't know, Ruth's Chris or Morton's Steakhouse. I'm trying to think of like restaurants. more and, elite. You can like the people that like, I don't know, there's someone, what's that restaurant that just closed in Denmark? It was the number one restaurant in the oh. world. Uh, uh, do you know what's interesting about that guy? He's doing, he works in American um, uh, school cafeterias now, trying to rework 
Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. But, but sorry, the totally, but regardless, like, right. that was a $400 restaurant. Right. And there are photographers, the Jose mm-hmm. Villas, the people like that, yeah. that are providing a $40,000 product. Right. That it's all about exclusivity. Right. Is the food way so, better? Is the photos way better? Who knows? The right, brand that's is subjective. It's but, the brand. Right. But that's where you would have to know, for example, like, if you are going to, like, when I go to my three Michelin star restaurants, I expect them to have very fancy napkins. Mm-hmm. I expect them to maybe even put the napkin on my lap for me. Yep. I expect them to have the option of whether I want a dark napkin or a light napkin because I don't want the lint to get on my black clothes. Yep. You know? But if I go to Chipotle, I'm not, and if Chipotle actually did that for me, I would be freaked out a little bit. <laughs> right? So it's the same thing with, with if you're running this business. Know your market and know what they're expecting, you know? And if Chipotle tried to do that kind of service for that same price, they would go out of business. Well, and, and here's the thing. The restaurants is a great example because the market is not necessarily dictated by the service delivered. Mm-hmm. You could have the exact, you could say like, hey, I'm going to move into rural Idaho and put a three Michelin star restaurant and there'll be no demand for it. Right, yeah. Because the customer is yep. not there. And so mm-hmm. some of you are three Michelin star photographers and you're not living in a three Michelin star photographer area. Like there's mm-hmm. very few markets that are going to support you. And you either have to be international right. or live in New York City or Los Angeles right. or somewhere like. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I'm bothered by that message and why I think we need to tweak it a little mm-hmm. as an industry is because we're basically creating one ideal. Right. Yeah. And saying this is who you should be and mm-hmm. we're going to funnel everyone into top. And it's like, right. no, there's a lot of ways to be. Yes. And, and just be professional. Mm-hmm. That's- and that's, that goes back to like what I was saying, how I start the course, which is what is your dream? Mm-hmm. You know, like don't measure your success based on someone else's benchmarks because maybe Jane over there who is single you know, her goal was to travel the world and be a destination wedding photographer and she can do these adventure shoots. I have two kids. Yep. If I measured my success based on her standards, I would be a failure. And maybe she got super lucky too and she couldn't, it's not even a business model. She just happened to run into someone. Actually, I know somebody um, who is an adventure photographer like that. And when I talk to her more about profits, she doesn't profit. Yeah. She charges basically what makes up for her, the fee of her travel. Well, do you know Binge Heish? Mm-hmm. Binge, the like original adventure photographer, right? Mm-hmm, he kind of mm-hmm. created that genre. But he, I shot a wedding with him in San Francisco last year, and it was just a normal, basic wedding. He sh- and he shoots 40 weddings a year, mm-hmm. 35, 40. Oh, wow, yeah. And he runs his education classes, right. and he's doing all this. I mean, the dude's a hustler. So, like, yeah. no, not... Not, we're not, when you, what you need to realize if you're starting out and you're listening and mm-hmm. you're watching this whole entire, you're watching these successful people with this very curated brand image is what they're actually doing is not always what they're communicating publicly. Right. And, and, and that's not decept- deceptive. It's not that. bad. Like, for yeah. example, if you want to shoot more adventure and let's say you only have one or two adventures that year. Show the show the heck yeah, out of it. it, yeah. But take the other gigs too, because you need to pay your bills. Yes, <laughs> and I think that's where the the miscommunication happens. Is like, oh, I, I turned this bride down. I heard a person say yesterday there said like something like, oh, I've realized I don't want to work weddings that are big. I only want to work these low intimate weddings. And I'm like, so you don't want to work weddings with more referral opportunities. You only want to work weddings with less referral opportunities, right. with smaller budgets, with less planner, big deal planners. I, th- that's what you're really saying. And if you're comfortable to say, I want less opportunities to succeed. 
I'm fine with that. I'm so successful, I don't even need it. Awesome, great, that's your decision. But like, you're not actually creating more of those good opportunities by turning down the ones you don't want. And right. I think that's what people need to realize as a business person. So, so I think what we're both passionate about is giving people options and mm -hmm. letting them know there, there's a lot of valid pathways to success mm -hmm. and you should be measuring success based on your goals and mm -hmm. not based on what someone else tells you. So, mm -hmm. so you're doing this, all this education stuff, Meanwhile, you're still shooting mm -hmm. crazy amounts of work. You do a lot of kids and families, yes, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> like, is, that's so crazy to me. I love shooting kids, but there's um, one, Hold like on, this that's past... That's loud. Okay. That's, that's, we can take a pause on that one. We are in downtown LA. We're in downtown LA, so you get the authentic sounds of LA. Yes. And, Isn't it um, soothing? It is so, so great. <laughs> <laughs> the peaceful sound of construction. It's funny about all the construction stuff is like, you actually tune it out. Yeah, yeah. You don't notice it till it's you're like... our white noise. Yeah. Um, what the heck were you talking about? Oh, uh, families. So you do a lot yeah. of family work. Um, I In the beginning of when we started out, we used to do... We, we would do school portraits. Nice. So we'd go to schools yeah. and set up our flashes yep. and do like 400 pictures. A, yeah. And I was like... That's volume. I was like, screw this. I hate this. <laughs> I don't, don't want to work with kids. Um, I take pictures of my own kids and yeah. that's it. But what I've seen, first of all, I love people's work when they work with kids. It's beautiful. I, I've like me as a dad now, I'm like, oh, I want someone to take pictures of my kids. I see it's so valuable. What's the secret for working with crazy kids? <laughs> I think you have to play with them. I think you have to have games to keep them engaged. Um, so like wedding couples. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think also planning around their nap schedule Ooh. is also really important, which brings me to a great point of in the past, I used to schedule, like when early on in my career, I was not as confident with light. So I used to schedule kids shoot based on golden hour, yep. which wasn't always the best mood for kids. Yeah. It's like that lunch, dinner time. Yes. Hangry season. Exactly. And so most kids... Most kids are happiest in the middle of the day when the sun is right above. And when I first started, I also didn't have a studio. So I was shooting in the park at high noon, basically, right? Like right after their lunch or right before their lunch. And so what I found that really helped my portrait session was being able to work with their nap schedules and learning how to use the light, even if it meant shooting their portraits at 1130 in the morning. Yeah. So how do you find like this crazy just breadth of various things you're doing plus your home life plus all this like how do you balance all that and keep a, like moving moving the ball forward, you know, yeah. knowing that you're making progress in all these different areas. Do you find that to be challenging or do you feel like you've found some tricks to keep moving forward in all the areas and not letting them all kind of slip? Or maybe you're I mean, putting things down on purpose. There's some things I have to put down. And honestly, <laughs> I have no concept of time. And for me, I, I remember last year I had a business coach and I sat down with him and I told him all the things that I wanted to accomplish this month. And he was like, okay, like, which included like film, 
filming and releasing a new e-course, launching a new photo product, like a new type. Like I do what I call um, this thing called AB Seasons, which is I create an ABC book for kids based on their, but it's like a whole new product that I'm trying to launch, right? And um, I forgot what else I was trying to launch, but I remember there were four things I was trying to launch at the time. And he's like, okay, and when do you want to do this by? I was like, this month. He's like, okay, let's break this down. To film this new course, how long does it take? What do you need to do? Okay, I have to write up the script. I have to film it. I have to edit it, right? I have to (laughs) market it. And once we started putting time frames on all this, and same thing with the photo thing. I want to launch Mother's Day mini sessions, you know, which is what I do every year. Okay, how long does that take? What do you need to do? And and once he started putting timestamps on everything, I remember that moment when it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's like, oh, shit. Like, you mean I don't have like infinite time in a day? <laughs> and it was like, I, I needed to take a moment at that time just to like, oh, like, but I really want it all done now. <laughs> yeah. I um, Naturally, I'm a person who always bites off more than I can chew. Um, but... Because we, we also do development mm-hmm. for companies, mm-hmm. uh, web development and software development. That's, I, that's side of our business. That's all you guys hourly so yeah. work. Yeah. And it's running teams and it's running yep. weekly sprints yep. and it's evaluating time. Yep. And then I'm charging by the hour and then they're going, you said it was going to take this many hours and it took this many hours. So I've gotten pretty good at that over yeah. the years. And I think... That has been the number one skill that we've used to scale our business yeah. is how long will actually will things actually take? Yep. When did we just screw mm-hmm. up and take too long? Because yeah. then we're going to have a conversation. Like, right. hey, you, mm-hmm. that was supposed to take 12 and it took 18. What right. the heck was going on, bro? Or lady, whoever's doing yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, and I would say like that is one of the most undereducated yeah. skills in our world because there's this whole skill of like... the basically do whatever it takes to do a good work. Right. And most people aren't busy enough. Right. They, you know, and you know, th- so I had to have that conversation with some of my contractors before as well. And so I do have a team yep. um, just for full transparency. Like I can't do all this by myself. No. So I do have a team. But what I was realizing was, for example, I would tell, like I, my manager would say, I want to do album design. I was like, are you sure we could send that out? She's like, no, I really want to do it. And then... In the beginning, I just let her run with it. And then afterwards, I'm like, wait a minute. How long are you actually taking on this? So what I had to do is like, you can do this if you can keep it within two hours. Because if you can't keep it within two hours, it makes more, it's more. How are you tracking that? Uh, she has to log her hours yes. as she's doing it. Us as well. Yeah. Here's a pro tip. If you're running teams, make them log their hours. Yes. If you're not making people log their hours, I promise you you're losing money. Okay, this machine stops, so oh we're going to do it, this podcast. So, it's so quiet right now. I'm kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing, a, we're talking about systems and developing systems. We just did a, if you haven't checked it out, we just did a two-part episode on our systems that we've used to run our business, which we go literally from lead capture to lead processing. Who And really, like what we define systems as, mm-hmm. a system is something that tells you when is something done? How something is done? By whom something is done? Yep. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it will help you. And so like, you know, you have teams, and yeah. we're talking about tracking their time and all this stuff. And and like, <clears throat> really, this idea of like, it still can be good if I don't do it. Right. Well, I have a model, a personal model that I don't ever want to do anything twice. 
Yes. <laughs> so if I ever find myself repeating a task, whether it's designing an album or writing the same email to somebody, um, I need to, in my company, we call it a run book. So I have a run book. And the idea is that anybody, I can pick up a high school intern somebody off the street to come in and I should be able to tell them, hey, I need this package shipped out. They should be able to open up the run book, shipping out a package. Okay, where do I get the, e- the address? How do I wrap it up? What do I, you know, what's the process? They should be able to just walk through it. If I was to say, hey, I need prints ordered, they should be able to open up to the page and see, okay, what kind of print, what, you know. And That's really fascinating. Yeah, so all of my team... Um, they're required to basically document their processes. I have them do it. I don't do it. Yeah. Um, so as I'm, obviously, as I'm developing a concept, I have to be the one that's doing it, and I enjoy the developing part of it, but I never want to repeat it. So, for example, if we're working with a new album, I will design it the first time going through it because I want my touch on it. But I am documenting that process, or I have my assistant next to me documenting the process. Then afterwards, I should be able to hand that to somebody and they should be able to duplicate it. Well, and that's the thing is like people who think about, you're not just scaling your business in terms of like, now I make more money. That's what Mm -hmm, most people mm -hmm. mean. I'm scaling my business. I'm making more money. What you're trying to do Mm -hmm. is scale your processes and scale the art that it's reproducible and that other people can do it. Like in my personal opinion, you should be able to even just scale your look. Right. Like you should be able to give yeah. your camera because yep. because that's that's what it is. This is my style. Yep. Hey guy, take my camera, mm-hmm. shoot it, and nobody knows the difference. That's really what inspired my education courses. Actually, mm-hmm. my online courses because my idea was I want to train associates. So if I'm going to be training them, what? How can I break down my style so that they can emulate it and have the tools they need to reproduce it? So as I was coming up with this training for them, I was like, oh, I should just film it and sell it too. Yeah, we do three <laughs> days of training every year. Yeah, that's awesome. Two of them offsite, one of them for just assistance. Yeah. So we have our main lead shooters, and mm-hmm. that's two days of literally like film review. And going through all the footage, saying we're using this focal length for this time of day. Yep. Here's the lights we're using. Yep. Here's our lighting strategy. Here's picture. If, here's all the video of it. Yeah. Here's everything that we're doing. And then we have an assistant day where we're saying, here's the process. You walk in. You carry your thing here. Mm-hmm. I'll literally walk through like when you walk into the ceremony, take one trip. Don't take three trips. Here's how you move, <laughs> set up tripods. That's how detailed you yeah. really need to be. If you're thinking, and this is where maybe somebody can learn, go, is Even, it for me, for teams? Right, If you right. don't think that way, if you're like, oh, what the heck are you talking about? That's not how my brain works. Then you might be happier as a team member. Yes. Right? Like, not everyone would be happy being the team leader. So it does take a certain amount of crazy, I think. Oh, I to, think so. Yeah. And so, but I'm also aware of that. And so a lot of my team members, they are more than happy to be like, just tell me how to do it and what to do. I just want to go out and create or yep. I just want to, I, I like being but around But that's this. because it's becoming like a real industry. And that's what's exciting to me is like, there are careers for different types of people now. And I, yes. that's a lot of people, they want it to be mm-hmm. like monocultural in that mm-hmm. like, there's one job, it's exactly. the artist. It's like what you said, everyone's vying for that 1.5% or everyone is to- made to believe that they have to fit in that 1.5% when yep. that's not reality. If you're burnt out and you don't, if you don't like, like I'm assuming you're this way too. When I think of a process, that I can make, mm-hmm. it makes me so excited. Yeah. 
I'm like, I can come up with this. I can do this workflow. Yeah. Here's a tool I can use. Mm-hmm. I can use this automation. I'm going to be able to scale myself and do 20%. If that literally makes your eyes roll back in the back of your head, yeah. you might be better suited as just a sole artist and that's what you need mm-hmm. to do or working for someone else. And guess what? That's totally awesome. There's that is You shouldn't feel less than for that. Right. And yeah. I think that's where we're headed. And I, and I look at the industry and I'm like, I think we're about to enter into like a new golden age mm-hmm. of more opportunities for people to have careers in the creative field. Yeah. And I think that's really exciting. So you're educating people mm-hmm. on running their businesses, but also on creating beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this a whole range of courses, but I know one you're really excited about that's coming out soon is this lighting course. Tell me yeah. about that. So that one is launching March 24th, depending on when this comes out. So yeah. it, uh, um, for those who are tuning in right when this comes out, it might time perfectly. Yeah. Yep. Um, but this one basically came from the lessons that I've learned when I had to try to make my children's shoot be successful. Um, couple things was, I started offering mini sessions. The purpose of mini sessions was to get as many shoots in one day as possible. And it served two purposes. It started off with holidays because at that time, everyone wanted holiday photos. And my calendar was just getting crazy with families and you know, on top of weddings too. Um, I was like, I need to figure out a more streamlined way to help these people get their holiday photos without breaking my back doing it. So I was like, okay, let me see, how can I squeeze it all into one day? So I book them now half an hour apart. Families half an hour and I get about 18 families in a day. The other... Um, how, what's your season for that, like two weeks, three weeks? Um, so I usually offer it... So it's like one weekend in LA. So I do Friday, Saturday, Sunday in LA. And then I do San Francisco mm-hmm. for two days as well. So, but this one served two purposes. One was, like I said, to be able to just maximize the number of families that I'm able to help. But two, it's cheaper than my normal portrait rate because it is a shorter one. And so it allowed me to, one, keep in touch with some of my old clients who I may have priced myself out of, you know, who may not be able to pay my normal, my normal fees nowadays, but they're able to still stay connected with me with this lower product, um, cheaper product, I guess, or yeah. less, more affordable product. More efficient product. product. Yeah. And then also I have a lot of families or fa- like fans who just love my work, but who also can't afford my regular Or they're not rate. getting married or... Yeah. So this one made it just, it, it was a very approachable product that was efficient for me, but also very affordable for a bigger mass. You know, like we said, like if I'm usually catering to like the 6% or whatever, right, this allowed me to dip down a little bit further, maybe to accommodate 10% of the people. But I'm also not doing it at a a loss uh, as well, because I am now able to streamline it in a way to maximize the amount of time and effort that I'm putting into this. So in order to do that, though, there were two things that had to happen. One, it required me to be able to shoot all throughout the day. It was not just golden hour. Because when I first tried to launch this, I was offering it during early morning sessions, afternoon, like late afternoon, evening sessions, and then the middle. So you weren't doing studio. At this time, when I first started <laughs> these, I didn't have a studio. It was all outdoors. So what happened was I was now not shooting between the hours of 11 and 3 or something like that, or 11 and 2, when in reality, I could have been fitting in, what, like another six families or something, six to 10 more families or so, like depending on how 
frequently you book them. So I had to quickly figure out, how do I figure out how to work this high noon sun? How can I make it look flattering so that someone who books me at noon is just as satisfied with someone who booked me at you know, 5 p.m. for a golden hour? or whatever time it is at the time. So I came up, and like I said, I'm really big about like my thought process, and I think that has to just be with teaching. Like with teaching, when I was teaching high school, one of the, and I taught science, I remember one of the things that we were drilled was how do you make the invisible, like attainable, like approachable for people, or like, um, what the, what's the word I'm looking for? Grasp. Tangible. Tangible. Thank How you. How do you make the transcendent imminent? Yes. So, you know, a lot of these things that we do in our head because we are veterans and we are so seasoned and a lot of this is so second nature to us, right? That we, oh, lights like this. Okay, well, let me shift them this way. But how can we now break it down, break down our like metacognitive process so that somebody who has no idea what's happening can also understand it oh, now? I, I think one of the hardest things for me is like, when I'm working a wedding, because so our process is, I pretty much only work with 19, 20 year olds mm-hmm. because they're moldable. Yeah, yeah. And they don't care about telling them hurry up. Right. <laughs> and, but I've realized like they have no concept mm-hmm. of the pacing of the day. Right. The fact that you just screwed me by taking three trips to grab that tripod. Right. It's like we have 15 minutes to set up and you took four instead of one. Right. And now we're out of time. You took 30% more time than you had yeah. to. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Right. They don't know what they don't know. And same with lighting, yeah. right? Yep. It's like people yeah. don't know what they don't know, even though like there's self-evident concepts that are happening all day, every day. Right. Yeah. You look at it, you go, that light looks good. I like this photo. But like, oftentimes think, people don't break down why they like it or how to even right. get the reproducible exactly. scenario. And I think even before that, some of them don't even realize that it's bad. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> when they're taking the photo, they don't realize it's bad. And then you open it up on Photoshop or Lightroom later and you realize like, ah, oh, like, oh, half the face is dark, half the face is light. How do I edit this? It's like, well... Well, you... I heard somebody say at a workshop, they said, if you're still shooting bounce flash at weddings in receptions, you can't really charge more than $2,500. I don't know if I agree with that. Right, right. But their, their concept was basically like... How the understanding of lighting is how you next level your business, like especially in photography, but also in in video. Like if you're watching your filmmaker, like Mm -hmm. if you don't know how to light people, yeah, you can't be that elite level person. And it's like because you need need to be able to deliver a consistent look regardless Mm -hmm. of the situation. When somebody hires me because they like my look, or when they hire you because they saw a photo that you liked, you need to be able to recreate that regardless of the situation. No grace for that. Yeah. Especially at the high end. They're not going to be like, yeah, sorry, our wedding was crap, or sorry, our lighting was crap, or we hired a DJ who doesn't know anything, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. They hired all the people they hired because they thought they were awesome. Right. So if you call them and say, like, oh, well, my work stunk. You don't like my work, but you loved the the DJ. You loved the lighting designer. You loved. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm an idiot. I hired a bunch of morons. Yeah, no, they're going to be fault. like, it's you, your fault. You and didn't deliver the fault. photos. Yeah, it is your fault because you didn't accommodate. You expected a DJ mm-hmm. and a lighting designer who's never ever shot a photo and an event designer who doesn't care about whatever right. you're doing to do your job for you. Right. Like, for example, you can't say, oh, well, the DJ's green light is why you're all green. Like, there is a lighting fix to that. You, like, that we can do as photographers, yes, right? Yes, but you absolutely. need to know how to do that. You do. Yeah, so a but lot But also of- the studio thing. 
Yeah. Which is like, it allows you to open up revenue sources mm-hmm. that are way faster, yeah. way more reproducible, yep. way more process related, yep. and actually a better experience for your customers. Yeah. Because like, I've done the outdoor shoots because of the convenience reasons where it's so hot and the person's sweating. And yeah, the or so cold or it's raining. Like I definitely had one year of mini sessions, holiday mini sessions where it rained. And then mm-hmm. what do you do, you know? Yeah, you, you've lost the revenue or you force them to go have a terrible experience. Yeah. And they, when they think back on it, they're like, I remember when I did that, that was terrible. Right. Yeah, so I think having the studio was was like a big thing to bite at in the beginning. You know, I was like, oh, can I do this? Like, it was like such a hard pill to swallow. But once I did it, it was so easy. Like, it's, it was easily justifiable because the amount of shoots I was able to do after that was awesome. And just the consistency and, um, but yeah, so for the outdoor shoots, I created the course All About Light. And that was to really help people who mostly shoot outdoors. It also helps for weddings. So when you get a timeline and it says, oh, you're going to do bridal portraits at 1 p.m., like, which is very Enjoy common. your raccoon eyes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, I have fixes for all that, and that's all about light. And then all about flash um, came about when I started breaking down the processes that, one, at weddings, how am I troubleshooting these reception shots when there is green DJ lights going on around everywhere? You and- guys deal with all the, uh, the banding? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was a really proud moment when I figured out the banding yeah. situation because now with the using LED lights. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, but I know it's like, it sh- is very obvious in video. <laughs> it's not always a fix for it, I'll tell you yeah. that. <laughs> but in photos, you can. Yeah. Um, but, but I've also seen, seen it in photos too. Um, And then also studio. How do you set up a very consistent look for the studio? Because I remember there, when I first started the studio, I'll be honest, I didn't use flash. And I was relying just on natural light, which is gorgeous in here. I just think like, why is that a badge of honor to not know how to do something well? (laughs) I don't understand that about photographers. It became marketable. They're just like, oh, lover of light, natural light, lover of natural light. What they should write is, can't use my equipment. Yeah. Don't because, know how to use equipment. Because you can make flash look like natural light. But also, like, you should be able to, even if that's not your preferred style. Yeah. Like, it's not better to, it's not better to be less skilled. It's better to be more skilled. Right, right, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be able to handle any situation? You can have a preference, yeah. but your preference may not be available. No. So I love golden hour. Okay, you get golden hour, like, two hours a day. Yeah. What are you going to do <sighs> the rest of the time? Don't shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope that by now the stigma that flash is all like that, you know, front lit flash, but also the backgrounds totally perfectly. That weird looking like right. thing that people are doing where everybody's like standing in front of a sunset, really hard lit <laughs> flash, and then the sunset's bright orange. And yeah. you're like, that's not how I look. <laughs> like, that's not... By the way, some people still do that. If you're making money, great. But like, that's not what we're talking about. There's a market for that too. Yeah, we're not talking (laughs) about like, Flash is using light. And and I will say this, I think filmmakers have a little more of an advantage here Mm -hmm. because we've never been able to use available light. Mm -hmm. We've always had to use lights. Right, right. There's, or even like bringing something like this outside mm-hmm. and having to have one guy walk around and carry it. Yeah. Like, because you don't have the, the latitude that photographers have. <clears throat> so we embrace lighting very early on. I know a lot of film uh, photographers that are actually using video lights now. Yes, I do too. 
I use both. I use strobes and video light, but right. there's advantages to both. Well, and they like the video lights because then they, um, it's a little more um, discreet at weddings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously way less power. But regardless, anyway, so you're t- you have this course about light. And, yeah. um, and so it has, is it three components So to it's it? two components. It's all about light and all about flash. So all about light is more like just an overall view of how light in general do works. Do you do any of your science background and explain the concept? A little, well, so I do break down the five characteristics of light. And I, what I'm doing in this course is I want to teach them how to see light so that they can troubleshoot light. So it's not just like, okay, do this in this situation. I do do that as well. Like here are common problems. Here's how you fix it. But the why, yeah. this is why it works. This is, if you need lower contrast, you know, here are the tricks to getting lower contrast. If you want higher contrast, this is what you well, do for people higher. people don't realize is that sunlight is full spectrum light. Mm-hmm. And none of our flashes are full spectrum light. Mm-hmm. They're delivering on specific wavelengths Right. And even certain colors and all color is, is a bounce off mm-hmm. of the thing. So the reason why people like natural light is from the sun is that you're, every color is in that light and it, it's making everything pop and it's, it's pop, making the saturation better and all these things yeah. are happening and that's not happening with your flash. And so you do need to understand that when you're using these lights and obviously mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, the science go, behind it is fascinating. Yeah. We go over like, you know, how, like how to adjust intensity, how to adjust the color, the contrast. A lot of these people, like flash is not just like pop it on your camera and you take it as is. There's actually a lot of control that the photographer has to change the way it looks. So you can be using the same unit and I can be using the same unit and we can get totally different looks. Yep. Diffusions and how when I'm pointing it and Mm -hmm. even how my shutter is timed with the flash. Right. So who is this course for? If you were to kind of pitch it and say like, this is for you if. Yeah. So all about light is for anybody who is struggling to get light to look the way they want it to look. They dreamed of, maybe they wanted um, more dreamy looking light and the light is not looking so dreamy for them. Or, you know, why is I'm trying to get the texture, like I'm trying to shoot a white wedding dress and why is it just all white? Like I can't get the texture to come out. Um, so d- if you are just struggling, anybody who's struggling with light, like I gave it to a bunch of my colleagues to watch and like three, three of the five people, the comments were, I've been doing this for 10 years and there were things that I didn't even realize. Yep. And, and then the all about flash courses for anyone who is t- intimidated by artificial light. Yeah, you know, I, I hope we can kill that bias especially in the photography community that, you know, that you, it's better to not use flash. You know, what's interesting about light. I was, re- I was reading this, I was at the Museum of Fine Art and I was, re- I was looking at some landscape people and, and there was this whole movement at mm-hmm. one point of people, I think it was Delaware, moving down to Delaware and doing mm-hmm. photos. And, and it was like literally like the axis of the earth and the angle of light coming over the side of the earth change it. Like if you shoot, in San Francisco, the yeah. light looks totally different than yep. it does down in Southern California. So, yep. like, the where you live affects light in a mm-hmm. way that you can't even control. And right. so, really, at the end of the day, and I can say it for our region, we're shooting anywhere from Portland, Maine, all the way down as far south as, like, you know, Newport, mm-hmm. Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And the light in Newport, Rhode Island is totally different than the light in Portland, Maine. Right. And like knowing what you're going to get and when you're going to get it and like the venues, the angles, yeah. the like yeah. what direction are you facing? Like there's a lot that you, that you can know. Yeah. And that you can plan for. And that like 
and you can actually start strategizing if you understand light and you understand how it's going to be and all this you can create unique images and actually start using that as a tool in your in your exactly. tool chest. And it's such a powerful tool. Like light sets the mood for your photos. You know, light can make it go from either moody and mysterious to fantasy to light and airy to dreamy to ethereal, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it runs the gamut. But you can create that pretty much in almost any situation. It's just depending on how you choose to diffuse it, reflect it. Um, and even the angle that you choose to shoot it from will change the look. And there's a lot of financial opportunities when you understand this. And Because I always go back to business, right? And you not knowing how to do this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Right. Like, you're a professional. Be mm -hmm. professional. And like, you're not professional, in my opinion, as a photographer, if you don't have a clue how to use flash and off-camera flash especially. Right. You need to learn this basics um, because it will give you more financial opportunities and give your clients a more predictable experience. Mm -hmm. And it's important. So, so um, where can people find the course? Yeah, so I have uh, carolinetrendeducation.com. And you can see I have a posing course there, a lighting course there, and then the business course, which I'm super excited about, is going to be out soon. I'm super excited about that, too. We <laughs> talked about posing, and I was telling you we have to do a posing course for filmmakers because nobody ever teaches <laughs> filmmakers <laughs> how to pose anyone. How to and direct a client. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, Daddy, you're working with kids, and so like you must be good at posing. <laughs> I'm good at directing. Are you just kind of like standing there and hoping they get into a pose and just shooting like a thousand shots? I think shots? there's two. There's... <laughs> There's kind of multiple components to it, but with kids, a lot of it is kind of seeing the general idea of what I want the shot to look like, and then now how can I get the kid to fill in that spot? And so it's coming up with either a game or a trick. Tricking or, them to stand there. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's things you can do. Like, for example, if I want to, if I see this gorgeous scene and I just want the kid running across the scene, then I might have mom and dad waiting on the other side. Like, one mom dropped the kid here, Dad, you know, be on the other side and call the kid to run over. Yeah, kids and are then, more like dogs, maybe. <laughs> exactly. No, yes. Kids and dogs and pets are the are very similar in terms of posing and directing. So then it's just, I already have my beautiful photo composer. I'm just waiting for the kid to hit the spot. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, Caroline, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. And I it just, it like... First of all, I love what you're bringing to the table. I like the just common sense kind of approach of, and I like that you not only you want to make beautiful work, but you're also um, have a really strong eye of helping people see the opportunities in their own business to do better. Yeah. And so I just think that's really incredible and really needed. Um, um, like, where can everybody find you besides the education stuff? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at Caroline Tran, one word, um, and then uh, I think that. Yeah, my website, carolinetran.net. But I would say like Instagram would be probably the best place to find me. Yeah, definitely check out her work. Um, it's It's got its own thing going because it's this mix of education, photography, and it just, it's, you have like one of the most diverse portfolios. Thanks. Uh, I feel like it's like from a marketing standpoint, someone might say like, it's too like spread out, but it works I, for me. That's what I was interested in actually because I, I was like, <laughs> This person must be doing so well if she has the guts to have this much stuff on there because so many people are like, they're totally funneling people into one experience and that works for their business. Yeah. But I knew for you, I'm like, she must have good systems. She must have all this stuff going on because you're trying to cast a really wide net. Yeah. 
and trying to catch a lot of fish. And I think like, I love giving and people- And you funnel them on the back end. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. That's <laughs> what we do as well. I want 600 leads and then I'm yeah. going to decide this is a Huxley film client, mm-hmm. eight to $10,000 client. This is a Stop Go Love client. And then we're trying to develop a low end product, not low end, a low cost product because mm-hmm. I want it to be amazing quality and great. Attainable product. Attainable products mm-hmm. depending on when my lead comes in. Yeah. I just want to get all the leads. Right, right. And then I want to figure out what to do with them. Yeah. So I, I could see that there was a similar way of thinking and I really want to put like inspirational sources out there for people who are doing things in a different way and hopefully like if you're feeling like Oh, I'm, I'm not the best photographer. I'm good, but I, I'm never going to be as good. Like, or I'm not going to get the opportunity of this really amazing photographer who's shooting $10,000 weddings, but I'm really smart and I work really hard and mm-hmm. I, and I know how to make people happy and I'm good with people. You can have a ridiculously good career. Yeah, you can. You can kill it. And like, mm-hmm. if you're even a filmmaker, you can kill it. And it's like, there's no one path. Yeah. And I think that's what hopefully like someone like Caroline can teach you. Hopefully someone like myself can teach you. I mean, you see you. how big the pie is, right? So oh, huge. you just have to know which sliver of pie you want and just make them really happy. You don't have to please the entire hundred percent of people. You're not going to, if you try to please all hundred percent, you're guaranteed to please nobody and especially not please yourself. Well, in the comparison game too is like, yeah. it's so killer. And it's like, when you look at what you're doing, very few, I feel this way a lot. Like I'm kind of peerless, like not that we're the best, but like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of businesses to comp with mm-hmm. our business. So mm-hmm. when I'm looking for mentors or people to mm-hmm. get advice from, mm-hmm. eh, and th- that's the bad side. The good side is we carved our own niche. Yeah. We made our own thing that's unique to us. And there are opportunities for a lot more people to come in and carve their own thing, make their own thing that's unique to them. Yep. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. And I, hopefully that's what you can do also at home. It's like you can watch this and go like, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to be exactly what everyone else is doing. I yeah. can do this. So anyway, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, my pleasure. It Thanks for awesome. having me. Thank and you. hope to connect with you guys. Please say hi. At, at in, on my Instagram at Caroline Tran. Have a great day, guys. Make sure to subscribe, do all the Instagram stuff, all the stuff that everyone tells yeah, you to like do. Yeah, like click here or there. <laughs> do or all that there. stuff. <laughs> Have a great day, guys. Bye.